The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito, Benito, AJ Olson 11, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Doomerzan782, and Jude Hanlon. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So anyways, Mike, it's a controversial opinion, but I think the croissant is the most uh, overrated pastry that you could possibly buy. Wow, Neil, that is controversial, but oh, we are live. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just going to move on from that topic and not address it ever again. <laughs> it's been a few wow. It's been a few weeks since we've had a what have you been playing segment, so I guess uh, we talked a little bit last week about you traveling a lot, so you must have been playing quite a bit. Um, let's run through what we've been playing for the last uh, few weeks. Well, Neil, I've been playing a lot of Mario Kart. That's right, Mario Kart. Hmm. Okay, the newest <laughs> uh, one, I'm assuming. The, the newest one, yeah. I was playing the new tracks uh, uh, that came out, I guess, a couple of months ago at this point. Um, and I've been also trying to get three stars on basically every course, which is proving very difficult. Or every cup, I should say. Of course, every cup. And it's 50cc, 100cc, 150. Are you going for 200 as well? No, I tried. It's basically impossible. Like, you have to be, yep. like, a, a robot to be able to do it perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anybody that's done that. I've done three stars on 150cc on all the cups. I think up to the most recent, uh, what do they call it, the driver's pass or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. the re- most recent pack. Uh, I've done them all except for 200cc because the courses, they're just not made for it. No, they're not. And it's like, again, you, you really just have to have perfect uh like perfect ability to drift everywhere and uh i don't know if this is true but there i find that there's like some rubber banding for sure yep in in the 200 cc more than the other ones because like sometimes i'll be there'll be you know a computer behind me way behind all of a sudden he's in first i'm like come on toad there's no way you're that fast he got the uh he got the golden mushroom man that's all he's getting day and <laughs> night man that's uh yeah that's a that's a good one i i I, I tried the 200, but yeah, I got too frustrated with it. 150 is reasonable. Yeah, yeah, I think that's reasonable. And I've also gotten back into playing Pokemon Go, actually, Neil. I uh, got back into this a couple of weeks ago, and I've been playing it still, you know, pretty strong uh, and uh, catching some new Pokemon, you know, and nice. trying to get to the 150. I think about 134 or 135 for the original 150, so I'm getting getting pretty close. Is it still set up where you have to travel to certain areas? I'm, I'm going to sound really old, or like, I haven't touched this game in about six years. But, <laughs> oh, neither uh, did I. <laughs> yeah, like, like is Mr. Mime still only in France? Is that still a thing? I, I there To be fair, there were tons of him in Poland and Finland. Uh, when I was there, I, I got Mr. Mime, and I was like, oh my god, I got him, I got Mr. Mime. And then it turns out that there was a lot of them. So I caught oh. like at least 10 of them. <laughs> uh, I think I have one or two extras to, to trade while I'm here, if anyone needs it. But... Um, uh, I think you can get them here. Like, I don't think it's region locked like it was before because you were right, like Farfetch was only available in Asia or something. And I think he's still very hard to find in North America, but he's like, you can find him. I think that's, 
I'm not a, a Pokemon Go expert in uh, in this day and age, but I think that's how it works. Yeah, that was some BS. I remember that in 2016. I think we had Tauros. There was something in Canada that we had yeah. that nobody else had, and it was like, okay, like that was a weird thing to do, but uh, got people traveling, I suppose. No, that's a great traveling game to play, though. I love that. It's great, and you know, I, I, it, I keep the ones that I have that I caught in different places because it, it actually says like where you caught it, which is kind of cool. Uh, so it's like you know a little a little stamp almost of, of yep. where I've been playing some more Knights of the Old Republic two. I don't like it as much as the first one. Okay. Uh, I know people were like it's basically the same game. It it is, but I think that's the problem is that it is the same game. <laughs> There's not a lot of new things going on. Even the story seems like I'm just playing the 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 first one over again in terms of like the the characters that you meet and like that you interact with on your team. The the story itself actually like the that with the sith lords and everything is quite interesting and i want to play more of it to get that lore but uh it just it's a bit of a slow burn i think i just have to sit down and play like a like a couple hours and really get into it and are you playing that game on switch or i am switch yeah 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 Yeah, i mean that's great to go back to those games but yeah like they're they're very much like you need to be in a certain certain headspace to play them it's tough to go back to a game like that unless you already had the nostalgia for it like for for someone like me who's never played them before i had a hard time going back to playing them yeah uh, they are very similar i'm sure they just reused all the same assets to make a new story i wish i liked it more because i know the story in uh, kotor is unbelievable so mm-hmm. i'll have to play it vicariously through you or wait for the remake to come out in 2029. Can't wait until I'm 50 years old playing KOTOR <laughs> on my PS8. <laughs> well, what are you playing right now, Neil? What's what's your games of choice at the moment? Well, I didn't what mention... What train simulators are you what playing? Tra- <laughs> uh, no, no train sims recently. It's been, been a bit dry on the train simulator front. Actually, I think we got one in, in the recent Nintendo Direct. I should check that one out. But uh, <laughs> I didn't say this in our last What Have We Been Playing recently, but uh, I still play Wordle every day. I forgot to mention that. Oh, nice. Uh, I mean, it still counts as a game, kind of. You know, I'm eating my oatmeal at my at my laptop every morning, and I'm playing Wordle. Uh, I will play it until I get it in one. Is my rule. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be a while, but you know what? Hey, you never know. It can happen. It, tomorrow could be the day. Tomorrow could be the day. Any day could be the day. I start with the same word every day. I start with music. So uh, I will let you know as soon as I get it in one, and then I can stop <laughs> playing Wordle every day. Uh, but other than that, I uh, I platinumed Miles Morales on PS4. Ooh, very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Took me a little bit less than a month, which for me is pretty good. Uh, I don't yeah. get as much time to play video games as uh, as I used to, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Pick that up on the September long weekend here in Canada and beat it just right at the end of September. So uh, yeah, really happy to have that. It, it didn't take that long, maybe 15 hours. Um, I didn't like it quite as much as the original Spider-Man. I know a lot of people actually say it's better. Um, I think that it is better in a way that they eliminated a lot of the things that slowed down the original Spider-Man game like all of those random stealth missions i guess that you would call Mm -hmm. it or games where you're playing as mary jane sneaking around Uh, a lot of those puzzle actually all of those puzzle elements of the game are gone where you're you know peter kind of rearranging wires or whatever that was that's all gone so they stripped all of that from the game to make this this kind of shorter standalone experience it's great i highly recommend people who like spider-man play it it's a cool story play the whole game as miles morales i think i said this a few weeks ago it reminds me a lot of ultimate spider-man on uh on gamecube mm-hmm. and actually right after platinuming uh miles morales i popped in ultimate spider-man because i just wanted to keep playing spider-man games and i think <sighs> i might actually go for the 100 percent in ultimate spider-man now because I found that they have a nice little checklist there of all of the city tokens that you need to collect by doing various races and time trials and uh, locking down crimes and everything. So 
I was actually shocked at how similar it feels to Miles Morales. Like a lot of the buttons are all mapped the same way. The oh, interesting. The swinging, yeah, the swinging feels very similar. Even uh, Peter, Peter in Ultimate Spider-Man's animations and Miles Morales's uh, animations are actually quite similar. So it was pretty easy to transition from one game to the next. So I'm gonna try and go for the GameCube Platinum in Ultimate Spider-Man next, but. Yeah. I wish there was GameCube Platinums. I wish. I'd have so many. <laughs> I know, right? Like, I'd have so much more. I, I mean, I guess I'm going to have to find a way to, like, show off when I actually 100% a game on GameCube because I haven't done it hardly ever uh, other than – what have I done it in? I can't even think of any right now. Maybe Spider-Man 2. But um, I'll have to, like, post it on Instagram or on the Discord or something just to show people that I've done it. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, otherwise it's like, great, I did everything. Okay. <laughs> I think Simpsons Hit and Run is one of the few ones I have like completely 100%ed because that game is very much like a like it, it tells you very obviously, I guess, like when you've 100%ed it. Mm-hmm. Where just a lot of games at that time weren't doing that kind of completionist method. Um, we, you know, when we talked about the Metal Gear Solid game for the GameCube, uh, I watched the completionist, like the the guy on YouTube. I like do that it. channel. Yeah, it's great. It's a really good channel, and I use it a lot for research because you you get everything, <laughs> you get the whole game. Yep. And he did uh, Twin Snakes, which he loved playing it because it was so much easier for him to actually complete it. Where the old one, he had to go back and forth and basically replay the game like twenty times to actually get all the stuff. So it's funny, like hearing it from that perspective. Yeah, like hundred percenting a game is something that I'm not super into all the time but it's something that i'm yeah. trying to get into more the the older i get i guess or just the more experienced i get with video games because i'm just not into jumping from i literally played a game a week when i was in college so like for four sure. straight years i played pretty much a game a week uh most weeks um but uh free time as an adult is harder to come by so that actually kind of brings me into my uh, my next opening topic here which actually comes from friend of the show zaffer and zaffer was kind of looking for some advice from uh from some friends and i thought or you thought mike that it would actually be a good opening topic on a show so let's give it a try here zaffer says on weekdays how much free time do you all have per day on average uh zaffer felt like he was going from having too much free time which made him sad uh to now having not enough free time which also makes him sad so uh mike i guess for you do you keep track of like how much free time you have on a daily basis and like how much would you say that that's changed the older that you get because i'm sure that this is a huge problem that not problem but dilemma that a lot of folks have as we transition from student being a kid to being a quote-unquote adult yeah it's a good question i mean it's a bit of a loaded question too because it's like what do you consider free time right sure uh I think I like I definitely have more free time in quotes as uh, a, a working adult working a, a relatively standard nine to five job and as well as doing freelance stuff um, than I did when I was in school. Like in school, I really didn't have much free time because you're in class for most of your day uh, and then you're also working you're doing uh, essays and homework and everything when you get home it kind of never like school never really ends <laughs> when you're in, when you're in school where work does right you go home and it's like that's it for the most part right not always obviously enough for every job uh but for mine it, it often does end which is nice uh but i often just use that free time to do other things like this like i'm using my free time right now to record this podcast right <laughs> uh and, and i think for me personally like my my personality is is one that i i don't like a lot of just complete nothing free time uh and i feel like i have to be doing something all the time that's just definitely 
who I am as a person. I like doing things. I like being busy. And uh, not everyone's like that for sure. And I understand. But for me, I like basically need to be doing something. I can't, I can't really lounge around for like more than, more than an hour, even playing video games, unless it's like Elden Ring uh, or something that I'm like really into at the moment. Uh, I, it's, I have a hard time playing it for more than an hour or two. It's usually just kind of like a sit down, play it for a bit, and then go back to whatever else I was doing. So my free time is often in spurts, I guess, in that sense. But it's such a it's such a tough question to answer because, yeah, everyone's so different with how they actually value their time, right? Yeah, and how you categorize it. Like when, when Zaffir says, you know, free time, does that just mean time that isn't sleep or work? Or is that yeah, time right, like, yeah. like my chores are kind of free time too, but I actually really enjoy grocery shopping, cooking, and doing dishes. Like those are three things that I really like doing that probably take all in all – over maybe six hours a week, honestly, because I, I cook every meal and I, I love cooking and I go do mm. all the grocery shopping and I love grocery shopping. Like that is free time as an adult. And when I was in college, I think I'm opposite as you, Mike. I think I had more free time in college because I didn't have to do any of the grocery shopping, really. My mom and I kind of split it, but she did the majority of it. We would share the cooking sometimes. But uh, in college, I had two to three hours a day of commuting time, which I was on the train. I was on the GO train in Toronto, and I would play 3DS, PSP, sometimes Vita, um, Game Boy, and that was three times of gaming right there on top of the maybe additional two hours I would get before bed every night of gaming or whatever it was because we didn't have this podcast, which you're totally right. This is how we spend a lot of our free time now, <laughs> probably close to 10 hours a week between the two of us, just researching, recording, and editing. All in all, to answer Zaffir's question, I probably have about three hours a day of free time, I would say. One hour of that is usually spent doing something active, like I like running and lifting weights. And then I might get another two, maybe three hours a day and in the evening to play a game, record a podcast, play or watch a movie, watch a TV show, and then go to bed. So um, somehow we manage on, on that much free time. So if you're listening to this and you're in your early 20s and you have time to play a video game for 10 or 12 hours a day, uh, enjoy that because one day it will uh, – <laughs> It may come to an end. <laughs> it may come to an end. And hey, sometimes still, I when the next Dark Souls game comes out, I'm sure I'll be spending 10 hours in one day playing it. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be a good time. But until then, Neil, let's kick off this side mission episode. Yes, Mike, let's kick off our shoes, sit back a little bit. We're going to take a break from our regular GameCube game content to talk about something a little bit different today on Side Mission Part 13 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12, sometimes none at all. So far, we have covered 499 games. We're getting close to 500, Mike. You can visit the GameCube is Cool to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. Last week, we talked about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games on the GameCube with GameCube Galaxy himself. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week... Mike is traveling, so as is tradition, we are filling in with a side mission episode. Uh, this is a detour from our regular GameCube game content, but we are here to talk about a GameCube console, a console that not many people have ever seen or even maybe even heard of in real life, and even fewer people own this thing. Uh, this is considered the white whale, the uh, the golden egg of uh, the GameCube <laughs> collector's library or wish list, I suppose. We're here to talk about the Panasonic Q. So, Mike, let's talk a little bit, I guess, about the history of this strange Nintendo slash Panasonic console. 
Yeah, the Panasonic Q. Um, well, I just wanted to ask, actually, before we get into it, mm-hmm. uh, we, we do this with games whenever we talk about games. Uh, Neil, do you have any memories of the Panasonic Q? I thought you were going to say, do you own a Panasonic Q? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have any memory of this. I did not know about this console until, like we've talked about, getting back into GameCube collecting 2012, maybe 2013, seeing it on some random video game collector's page uh, that they had picked up at a thrift store or something at a flea market at a game swap thing for hundreds of dollars or something so no this was not something that was marketed to (laughs) to kids or to to people really in 2001 when it 2002 when it came to north america um i have no memory of this at all in any magazine on ytv (laughs) anywhere what about you do you remember this from back in the early 2000s so I don't necessarily remember the console. I remember it almost being like a schoolyard myth, you know, like people really? were like, yeah, you know, there's like a, uh, a GameCube that plays DVDs. I was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, I knew someone not in school, um, I think later, maybe in high school or something or, or, or university, someone I, yeah, it would have been university. Someone I knew had a Panasonic controller. And I'm sure people have seen that before. It's a Panasonic GameCube controller, and it just says Panasonic instead of having the GameCube logo on it. And that's actually something on my wish list. I really want that controller. Definitely. It's like a dark dark grayish con- controller, I guess. It's not silver. It's not shiny kind of platinum. It's it's ugly electronics gray from the late yeah. 90s is the best <laughs> yeah. way I can describe it. Oh, it's not a good looking controller, no. but I just want it because it's so interesting and unique. I asked them, I was like, "What? what is that? Why is it a Panasonic controller? And they're like, oh, well... There's this console that exists that's a Panasonic console for GameCube. And I think I kind of thought about it and then forgot about it. And I remember you talking to me about the Panasonic Q at some point, uh, maybe a couple of years ago. And, uh, and you're like, oh, I saw it somewhere. Or something happened. And I actually did see a Panasonic Q and checked it out one time at a game store uh actually in london the one of the in london ontario there is a game store there a game cycle i think it's called and they did have a panasonic q there going for i think like eight hundred dollars or seven hundred dollars at the time mm-hmm. it, it was it was i'm not sure how much they go for now uh probably at least close to a thousand but um i remember seeing it there and i was in awe at the size of the thing it's huge Oh, really? I've actually never seen one in person. I guess we should probably explain to the listeners who might not know anything about the Panasonic Q what we're talking about. Basically, mm-hmm. this is a GameCube and a DVD player hybrid. Uh, in the early 2000s, DVDs were all the rage. Uh, PlayStation 2 could play DVDs. The Xbox could play DVDs. As Mike said, the GameCube famously could not play DVDs or, sadly, no VHS. So Nintendo uh, partnered with Panasonic actually to make the GameCube mini-discs. Uh, Panasonic's parent company were the production manufacturers of the GameCube mini-disc. Uh, and part of that uh, agreement was that Panasonic would have the uh, ability to make a GameCube basically another GameCube console that could also play DVDs. And this was the child of that agreement, I suppose. Uh, It was released in Japan on December 13th, 2001. Uh, It came to North America uh, a few months later, uh, discontinued on December 18th, 2003. There were less than 100,000 units sold in total. Uh, The launch price, since it was a Japan-only console, was 41,000 yen, which comes to about 400 USD. Uh, which is actually more expensive than a GameCube and a DVD player, which is part of the reason why (laughs) it didn't sell very well. Uh, Price today, Mike, you were correct. It is priced today at around $800 uh, loose 
if you wanted this thing in box, you're looking at closer to $3,000 just because it is so heavily sought after. But I do have to say, it is it is just a DVD player and a GameCube. It doesn't really do anything super spectacular. But going back to 2001, just putting myself back in mm-hmm. my you know my little childhood brain, we didn't really mm-hmm. think about consoles being an all-in-one entertainment system the way that we do now with PlayStations and Xboxes being able to go on Netflix and YouTube and Amazon Prime and and playing video games and and going to Spotify and everything. You can pretty much do everything from your console. It wasn't weird at the time to think, oh, it only does games? That's That sucks, which really is kind of what the Switch is. (laughs) Um, The Switch has YouTube, I believe, but it still doesn't even have Netflix. So the Switch is very behind the time when you think about it as being an entertainment system, which it's not. It's a video game console first. But in 2001, if your GameCube didn't play DVDs, it wasn't all that strange although i guess with the ps2 it technically was at the time yeah it, it, see it's an interesting thing to think about right so yeah like you say you got to kind of put yourself back in the mind of someone in 2000 and with the launch of the ps2 you know ps2 comes out in 2000 and that was an absolutely huge announcement i don't think we kind of understand how big that was from this perspective and you know 22 years later but it it was crazy it, this was the really like, because tech was pushing that all-in-one kind of solution for everything. You think of uh, printers, even and faxes. Like that was a big thing when we were kids. Was was that you could have a printer and a fax together, <laughs> and a and a copier, right? right. It, it yeah. was that was a big thing, and and technology was really kind of pushing to that ubiquitous solution for things. It's like I want everything all in one, which is kind of interesting to think about because now uh, in a way we're actually drifting away from it a little bit again yeah uh switch is an example i think steam deck is an as another example of just like something doing something really really well and being built for just really one purpose and that was yeah that was a big thing was the entertainment center dvds you know this is 2000 2001 uh vhs's are still around, but are starting to get phased out, and DVDs have just hit the market. A DVD player was basically the hottest thing to have yep. uh, at the time. Uh, I feel like everyone had that um, that VHS DVD combo pack. Still have of, it. Still yes, have it at my parents' house. It's it's so good, dude. We still have all of our VHS and all of our DVDs. That thing, what is it, 20, 20 18, 20 years old now, and it still works? Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, they were built pretty solid. Good piece of tech. I think it's actually a Panasonic. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. But it was funny because, like, y- y- we think about stuff like that now just being almost like old hardware. Well, like, DVD players were expensive mm-hmm. in 2000. Like, that was a very expensive thing to get. So uh, it did make sense. Like, PS2 was a great sell for that. Uh, and it's funny looking back now. PS2 was a great sell for DVDs. Uh, PS3 was not a great sell for Blu-rays because no one understood what Blu-rays were. Right. But regardless that's a that's a topic for another day <laughs> but uh and then we have the xbox like you said being released a year later at the same time as the gamecube and that has a, has a dvd player that has xbox live coming soon yep uh with the online bill gates is introducing it it's a microsoft console you know this is again one of the biggest moments in gaming history here and then a week later we have in north america we have the gamecube uh a system that looks weird uh, it's colorful. It doesn't have a Mario or Zelda title at launch. It doesn't have a DVD player. It doesn't have online. Uh, it's it definitely it doesn't like, connect to the internet. Yeah, that was a big yeah. one too. Like it didn't do anything that the other guys. <laughs> it played games, which is at the end of the day, that's what we buy these things to do. It's funny that we kind of gripe at the things that they don't do. But at the time, 
comparing it to even the Dreamcast at online, right? So like comparing yeah. it to Dreamcast, Xbox, PS2, it, it definitely is the odd one out. Of course, now it's beloved by everyone <laughs> across the board. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it did show the need, I guess, for some sort of solution to like, uh, to create, you know, some kind of DVD a component, I guess, for the GameCube. And that's where the Panasonic Q comes in. And like you said, yeah, they that was a deal with uh, Panasonic's parent company. And this wasn't the first time, actually, that Nintendo allowed a third party to make a version of one of their consoles. Uh, back in 86, uh, Sharp, yes, the, the the TV company or uh, electronics company, Sharp, uh, they, they made a Nintendo TV. I'm not sure if you've ever seen these, Neil. I have, yeah. I saw it on the Gaming Historian's YouTube channel. It's basically an NES mixed with a, with a TV screen, right? That's... Yeah, it's it's like it's interesting, <laughs> and uh, uh, also a special edition Famicom thing that they made too. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting in that sense. And there was precedent for creating something like this. But what was interesting from what my reading of the Panasonic Q was they didn't consider it a GameCube that could play DVDs. They considered it a DVD player that could play GameCube games. Right. That is, at the end of the day, what it is. It's a DVD player first, clearly, and it's a GameCube second. Uh, You can tell that just by the tech alone. Uh, When you plug this thing into your TV, and if you had a sound system back then, it very much took advantage of the the movie portion of the sound. Like, the sound for movies would always be, you could hook it up to subwoofers, and you could hook it up Mm -hmm. to surround sound and, and all of this. But then when you play through the GameCube, I don't know, unless the game supported certain surround sound and everything, I don't think it supported as many of the sound features no. that this thing was capable of, which it actually was a pretty good piece of tech in terms of uh, sound for, for movies, which was, a, again, another pretty good big deal at the time. DVDs and sound were like the two, if you had like surround sound in your living room, you were like the coolest kid on the block, basically. This was the beginning of home theaters. Yeah. Right. You know, this right. was the kind of the start of, of being able to have a surround sound setup. like this hadn't happened ever before. And. I mean, I guess you could technically do it with VHSs, but DVDs, were, that was the first time where you had that that Dolby audio. Like, there's a reason why uh, on a lot of these uh, back-of-the-cases for GameCube, they actually mention Dolby, like, mm-hmm. in the description, yep. which sounds funny to us now, because <laughs> we're just like, what? Like, why would they? But that was a big thing, uh, that, that crisp surround sound that you could get on in movies and games was completely new. You know, think of... VHS tapes, it's just very much a mono feed. Uh, same with like some of these uh, games from back in the day, super compressed audio. Yep. Obviously, the engineers were able to make it work, which is just a miracle in itself. But still, having this, like, I can't even imagine someone playing the first Soul Calibur and then going to Soul Calibur 2. Like, what a difference of sound. Oh, yeah, the jump in graphics and sound at this time was huge. Uh, we've talked a lot about that on the show, obviously. Um, but yeah, this is, this is, it's, it's just such a weird little console. I don't actually get the, you mentioned it being huge. What, do you have the dimensions there of this thing? Yeah. So the dimensions, uh, I'm not sure exactly the dimensions, but it is roughly about the size of two game cubes oh, okay. uh, together. It's, it's a big, big console. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a girthy console, Neil. Okay. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I would love to, I, I have two GameCubes. I guess technically that would, doesn't quite count as a Panasonic Q, but this is one of the only Nintendo, or is it, it's the only Nintendo console technically that can play movies because the Wii 
could not play DVDs or Blu-ray. The Wii U could not play DVDs or Blu-ray, and obviously the Switch doesn't have a disk drive. So this is the only time Nintendo ever tried to make anything that plays movies, and they even are pretty apprehensive to making a console, obviously, that connects to uh, or that uh, has apps for streaming services. So they, they've almost always been apprehensive to making an all-in-one entertainment machine, really. I kind of like that about them, too. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you touched on that briefly there about how people have, you know, in the late 2000s, I would say, our uh, our entertainment units were very much trying to be an all-in-one thing. You know, you have a smart TV that can connect to the internet. You have an Xbox that can also connect to the internet. Like, everything can do multiple things. It is kind of nice to go back and, and interact with a device or a, a piece of tech or something that can only do one thing, but at least do it really well. It's kind of nice. I know that it means you own more items, but... It's like games at this time, uh, yeah. and like in the early 2000s, in terms of, you know, that's something we talk about all the time, is there's a ton of these games that just do one thing really, really well. Yeah, yeah, focus on that one thing. I mean, we're kind of just getting boiled down to only playing and interacting with everything on your phone. Uh, so it is funny to go back and like listen to, you know, Dolby Surround Sound and all of these extra things that you can do. And, at, and we've kind of boiled down to watching everything on a phone, which doesn't have any of these things really. Uh, speakers and Bluetooth headphones, I suppose, but nothing quite to the extent that the Panasonic Q is trying to get across. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have much to say about the actual tech itself, uh, other than its ad- uh, ability to output sound. But one thing I really like about this uh, console that I wish Nintendo would have done with their own GameCube is um, the ports for the controllers light up. Oh, yes. Oh, I love so that. So cool. The LED like lights in the back. It's so beautiful. I love that. I'm sure it's so annoying when you're playing in the dark, but um, <laughs> it just looks so beautiful. Like that LED yeah. light under the uh, inside of the controller holes is just so cool. I wish that they had put that into more consoles, but nope, just on the Panasonic Q, unfortunately. I, I, I hope I get to see one in person someday. I, I don't think I ever really want one. Have you ever even thought about buying one, Mike? No, just a controller. <laughs> I yeah. just want the controller. It would be cool to own. It would be you know something maybe down the line that i would i would look for to see i'm sure the prices will only go up because it is so finite in terms of how many co- how many uh consoles are out there uh, like you said only 100,000 being sold so that's going to be dwindling in the years to come i'm sure that'll be a big collector's item so for anyone who owns it hold on to it it's only going to rise in price if you're ever thinking of selling it but um you you talked about the surround sound and uh there's actually a button for that so on the the front face of the Panasonic Q, there are a lot of buttons. There's eight buttons in total. Jeez. Uh, it's a very busy front. Uh, if, for those who haven't seen it, I can describe it a little bit. Uh, we have a ton of different buttons. We, uh, of course, have the power, the reset, all that kind of stuff. But we have the surround button creating a uh, kind of virtual surround sound for DVDs and games, but, but mostly for the DVDs that can handle it. The cinema mode, which subtly changes the brightness of your video. It's not a, a big thing. It's hard to tell, honestly, uh, from watching video. I couldn't really tell. Uh, there is a dialogue enhancer, which I've never seen a button for uh, before. Does that like, I guess that would improve the audio of people talking. Basically, yeah. You sound like it, caveman it, trying to understand tech for the first time listening <laughs> to some know. of this stuff. <laughs> it, it only works for uh, for DVDs. Uh, it doesn't work for games, but right. it's actually pretty cool. And I part of me kind of wishes that we had this for other things because the dialogue enhancer is, is when it works, is, is pretty neat. Uh, we also had a Bass Plus, which was a button on there, which like uh, it's like the name states it ups the bass. Good. And uh, it's mostly for controlling the uh, subwoofer 
Because, yeah, I think you mentioned that too, Neil, that there is an output for a subwoofer on the Panasonic Q, which seems so extra. I know. Uh, like at the time. And even now, like I don't think I would hook up my subwoofer to it. I, I mean, I would just be having it hooked up to like a whole system. So it's interesting right. that there's a specific subwoofer hookup, like it's a receiver almost. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there's the game button, which switches over to the GameCube mode. Yep. Uh, and yeah, and then on like the rest of the case, we have six different logos <laughs> i was going to talk to you i wanted to talk to you about the logo i the, the one that i notice more or the one that i think is a bit more of the like i guess the panasonic q logo is the it's the cube the GameCube, but it uh it's faded out so it's just the outline and you've got the yellow on one side the blue on the other side and then basically like a i guess an uppercase l going through it to make it look like a cube and a q at the same time what do you think about this logo it's really it's kind of neat it looks very 90s it's very 90s for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's neat. It's interesting. Mean, it was cool that they made a logo just for this. Uh, that's yeah. what I was a little surprised about how they did that. So, yeah, it was a nice little icon. I guess you could call it like an icon. Yeah. Um, I guess that's it, so. it looks like one of those icons that you get if you're like working in like Microsoft Word or something at the time and it's just like, give me my template icon. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and they use that instead. But it, it works for this. Um, it does. There's a course the disc icon the dts icon dolby uh gamecube uh dvd and the panasonic logos as well it's so much stuff on this reflective front and again uh the actually we haven't mentioned it yet the front of the case is reflective that would have one cost a lot of money to make yes uh two is so unnecessary <laughs> uh and would have been like so shiny I, I think it's i think aesthetically it's really 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 cool it looks like, like a toaster I, yeah it does look like a toaster <laughs> it's all stainless steel the casing it and is everything. so it's, it's it's beautiful it's a blunt weapon if you want it to be uh, <laughs> I, I at first thought it was just silver that kind of metallic looking plastic but yeah it's it's literally made of stainless steel it's a it's like a it's a cube it's a legitimate weapon if you want it to be um i do want to say though for collectors in case there's anybody out there who is for some reason looking to buy this you know this is actually something you're legitimately looking for you should know you probably already do there are actually two different models of the uh of the Mm -hmm. panasonic q one that came out uh, in december of 2001 and the second one i believe came out a few months later in early 2002 but there's the slgc 10 which can only read region 2 and japan games so that's your japanese only panasonic q and then there's the mm-hmm. slgc 102 which is completely region free so obviously yes. if you are looking to buy this thing you want to buy the 102 one uh if you live <laughs> in the eu or north america that is yeah, it's it's pretty cool that they made this region free or eventually like made yeah. a region free version again ahead of its time. It's it's very like this console is very very cool. It just it's just so extra. I think is like the best way to put this. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of brings me to my next question here, Neil, which would be, why did it fail? Why do you think it failed? I, I literally think it, it it comes down to two things. One, you had to buy it through Japan. I don't think that this was ever available. Like, I don't think you could ever walk off the street into Best Buy and buy this thing. <laughs> I, I think you always had to buy it through a Japanese retailer, which in the early 2000s was not something people were doing on a regular basis unless you had a parent or an uncle who knew that type of thing and would do that. Our parents were buying all of our tech from Zeller's because uh, or Walmart maybe and Best Buy and maybe yeah. Toys R Us as well and that was pretty much it and this was not on those shelves and it was too expensive it was the cost of since the GameCube couldn't play the base GameCube could not read DVD discs this thing had to be a DVD player which is 
fairly expensive at the time, and a GameCube, which was cheap compared to the PS2 and the Xbox. But when mm-hmm. you add it onto that DVD player, you now are buying basically two pieces of tech in a single stainless steel box, which makes it even <laughs> more expensive. So it was the cost and the barriers to buying it were the problem. At the end of the day, it's a good, it's a fine idea. It's actually what the GameCube probably should have been. Um, yeah. It was just yeah. too weird and too hard to find. I think there's a middle ground between the two of it, like between the GameCube and between this that probably should have existed mm-hmm. that honestly might have helped the GameCube in sales a lot. Uh, definitely would have put the GameCube up more than the 21 million, I would say, if they had some kind of hybrid between these two things. But totally agree with those two points, Neil. Absolutely. My other big reason is, and you touched on it just a, a tiny bit there, but it's the design. Um I don't know what they were thinking here. <laughs> like, I think I think the design is cool. Well, they kept I think the handle. It's really cool. The handle's still there. Yeah. The the, the <laughs> for those of you who don't know, uh, the handle is on the top now on on this uh, on this console, and there's a little screen there, a little LED screen that comes up with with text and and everything going on. So it's it's pretty cool in that sense, and I'm glad the handle got kept. But the design is so GameCube. It's just like it looks like the GameCube's older, bigger brother, and. Uh, I don't understand why they went this route because their whole idea was that this was a DVD player that could also play GameCube games. And I think that's where they really missed the mark because if I'm a parent and I'm looking at this thing, you're not, I'm I'm not, I'm looking like what, you know what? This just looks like the GameCube deluxe. I'm not going to buy this where if you see it as more of a DVD player, like if it was designed and styled like a DVD player, maybe using the GameCube colors, which would be pretty cool. Uh, an orange DVD player, which would be on honestly awesome. Yeah. Uh, I I think that could have been a much easier sell because not only are you saying here, here's a like a DVD player that can play games, but if you want to go from it from the perspective of someone who doesn't want to buy a GameCube, you can say, hey, look, look at this like sleeker design. That's a kind of a, a slimmer design. Like, you can put it in places easier. You know, the GameCube is a, it's a cube. It's kind of hard to put places. And the Panasonic Q is almost double the size of it. So it's it's even harder to put. You would have just had to have this on the floor. Right. Like this thing is it's such a huge cube that it would be difficult to put anywhere uh, in, in your media cabinet. So I think making it like um like a DVD player, like a sl- slim DVD player is w- what we saw at the time, basically like a PS2 styled uh, console. I think that would have helped it a bit. And that's where you kind of answer your own question or your own dilemma there, where you're that parent standing in, let's say there happened to be a Panasonic Q in your local Best Buy in 2001, <laughs> 2002. You're that parent, it's, you know, getting coming up on Christmas and they're looking at the shelf and they, you know, the person comes to help them or whatever. And it's, okay, I want to get my kid a console that can also play DVDs because I need to buy him Shrek 2 on DVD as well. <laughs> <laughs> the game and the movie of course both yeah you're gonna get the whole experience <laughs> but you have this panasonic q and everything else there and it's 400 dollars, and it it can play dvds it's like okay well at the end of the day apparent i just need something that can play dvds and video games i'll get the ps2 exactly like that that's what ended up happening too so it really does at the end of the day come down to price for a lot of these things and it's it's a cool novelty i'm glad it exists oh boy am i glad this thing exists but <laughs> i will study it from afar i'm fine with having it i was fine at the time with having my gamecube 
and my DVD slash VHS player as separate units, and I'm still okay with that today. Uh, I'd be perfectly fine, honestly, if my PlayStation did not play Blu-rays because I don't watch Blu-rays anymore. No, no. And again, that's why you kind of really have to transport yourself back to 2000, 2001 right. uh, into this time and think like, you know, does this make sense? Why would I need it? And I, I think... I think this was honestly just a project that was doomed to fail from the start yeah. for, for so many reasons, right? And, of course, we mentioned a bunch of them. And, like, another one would be the time of it. Uh, it it being released so soon after the GameCube's own release feels a month, exactly, in Japan, a month, and then, yeah, a couple months later in North America. Um, or I guess, well, technically being in North America. But, uh, yeah, it, it that that's such a weird cannibalization of your market. Like, why not release a GameCube Deluxe maybe made by Panasonic of some sort two, three years into the GameCube's life cycle? Uh, one, I think you could keep costs down a lot more that way. You could understand your market segments, too. After having a couple of years with the GameCube in the market, you could see what works, what doesn't. It could be an opportunity to tweak things uh, as well with the, the console itself. So it, I think that's like one of the biggest head scratchers is the fact that they put it out so soon after the GameCube's release, because that means that a team at Panasonic was developing the GameCube while the team at Nintendo was also developing the GameCube. Yeah, well, they were developing a GameCube with the DVD player duct taped to it. Now, we should we should <laughs> say that the GameCube in Japan was actually released in September, so technically it was three months. That's still not enough time. I, I, think, I think it should have been either one of two things. It should have been released day one with the GameCube. You can yeah. get you can get the base GameCube for it launched at about 199 yen. I believe is the correct price. Uh, $200, let's say. You can get the $200 base GameCube or you can get the $400 GameCube with the DVD player locked into it. And those are your two options. You either do that or you launch the Panasonic Q in the last like 30 to 25 to 30% of the GameCube's life cycle just to kind of yeah. get that last bump in sales maybe. But yeah, a month, two, three months after the sale of the GameCube went onto the market is ridiculously too close to the start of it. And the GameCube sold terribly in North America. It sold way worse in Japan in total, 4 million units in Japan compared to the 12.9 in North America. And this being a Japanese-only console, it was just, you're right, doomed from the start. Yeah, just seemed like something that they had to kind of check off the contract with Panasonic, right? That was that was what I got from it for the most part. Like from thinking from a business angle, uh, I think it's probably Nintendo just being like, okay, we we got them to make these mini discs and the and the disc reader and everything. So now they really want to make this console. Uh, so let's get them to do that, and we'll just check it off the the board, and we'll discontinue it after a year, which is basically what they did. So. Um, yeah, just a uh, kind of a thing that was doomed to, doomed to fail, but hey, collectors out there can get to appreciate it and get to see that beautiful reflective front. Oh yeah, they can look at themselves as they uh, think about what they just bought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm really glad that Nintendo make these weird choices, put out these weird products, even yeah. to this day. So if you happen to see any weird product like this that doesn't get a huge print run, it doesn't sell well, no one's talking about it, I mean, pick it up. You never know, it might be worth something in the future, you might get some enjoyment out of it, but... Uh... Yeah, this was a really fun thing to talk about, though, today, Mike. Is there anything else you want to say about the Panasonic Q before we close out this uh, this side mission episode? Uh, yeah, Neil, they uh, they missed a big opportunity there to call it the Panasonic Cube. 
Oh. And, and you know, use that use it the Q on but technically that one is like not a cube at all. No. So this one's I, even I know, farther flung. Because yeah. <laughs> it's it's a bit long, you know, it's got a bit of a back to it. It's got a, it's got got a, a butt. bit of a caboose. It's got a nice yeah. butt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm happy it was made. Uh and I I hope that we we keep getting weird and wacky stuff from Nintendo like this. Me too. I'm sure that we'll see callouts to this console at some point in the future, like we do with the Virtual Boy. They're probably going to have to acknowledge it at some point in some random Nintendo Direct, which will be freaking hilarious. <laughs> but, Mike, while we're waiting for Nintendo to revive the Panasonic Q in some kind of weird Nintendo game at some point in the future, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 114 of the GameKeeper's Cool podcast? On episode 114, Neil, we're talking about Mortal Kombat games and a couple of Def Jam games on the GameCube. These are some fun fighter brawlers. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about some of these. Uh, We're doing it for the some anniversary. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I forget which one. You'll you'll find out on the next episode. But there's an anniversary coming up for Mortal Kombat, I think, maybe the 30th anniversary. I'm excited to talk about some of these games with a lot of friends and the fact that all these games are really expensive. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it's it's tough to find them nowadays, but they are mostly really good games. They, I, I guess they are. I'm not a huge fighting fan. I'll take your word for it. I was in one of our video game stores recently, and I was like, hey, so Fight Night uh, Battle for New York or whatever it's called is $260. And you were like, well... <laughs> that's the end of that so we weren't going to pick that game up that day but yeah we will be meeting to talk about some fighting games on the gamecube to celebrate the 30th anniversary of mortal Kombat, which first came out on october 8 1992 we're a little bit late but as we said we we've been traveling we've been living our lives so uh thank you so much for being so patient with us but until then ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to side mission part 13 of the gamecube is cool podcast new episode every thursday on all the major podcast services leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the gamecube is cool all patrons get the show ad free and a little early thank you so much to everybody over there you can check out our merch store on t public.com link to the store is in the episode description you can follow us for free on instagram twitter or facebook and join the weekly conversation on our discord channel share us with your friends and family tell panasonic neil says hi yes tell the company neil says hi (laughs) thank you so much for the support and we will see you next week see you later bye-bye over 600 games you've never heard of product of what happens when you think inside the box. I like to think that companies are like a legitimate sentient being. Yeah, I like to think that that Mr. Panasonic yeah, <laughs> is working today. Like somewhere there's just a massive like <laughs> being of meat and that is McDonald's, <laughs> you know? Like you just meet in a boardroom with the character. I don't know where I'm going with this. See you next week. And the Hamburglar. He's the CEO. Of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs>